If you would take your Bibles, or um, you can follow along on the screen here, or I notice in the bulletin as well, we, we do have the sermon notes that are inserted. You notice there are some blank lines in there. That's to keep you on your toes. So you can fill in the blanks when, when we get to that, that part of the sermon. But be filled with the Spirit. That's a, that is really what you might call, it. well, not might, it is the priority of the early church. You look at the book of Acts. And you, you see that. But we're, we're going to look at Acts 6, 1 through 7 and kind of come at it from a little different angle, but not really totally different than what you might be used to hearing from this particular passage. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Carol and I are involved in a, in a thing called BSF. Um, and that doesn't stand for bring some food. It stands, it stands for Bible Study Fellowship, but it's an interdenominational uh, fellowship. Uh, Carol and my daughter go to the ladies' group there in Westerville, and, and now this year they've talked me into going to the guys' group on Monday night. They meet on Thursday. We meet on Mondays. And it's kind of funny because we started meeting with the guys, and, and the question was asked, you know, and this is supposed to exude a lot of thought, and it was, well, gentlemen, why did you decide to come to Bible Study Fellowship? And most of us just kind of sat there and said, well, my wife thought it was a good idea, and she sent me here, so I'm here because my wife wants me to be here. But, uh, but it's a great group of guys, and, and we're learning some great stuff, and it's good to be with guys from a lot of different uh, theological and biblical traditions, and kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit. But Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 is one of those that right now we've been looking at. But this is an interesting episode in the life of the early church. The word of the Lord. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal seemed pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. I like that. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I remember the very first job I had that included an official paycheck and then a W-2 at the end of the year. I was in high school, and they hired me at a place called People's Drugstore downtown where we lived when I was a teenager. And People's Drugstore had, like a lot of these places had back in those days, they had a deli counter back in the corner. Remember, Woolworths would have that big kind of like a restaurant in the corner and places like that. People's Drugstore had one of those where you had the little 
stool type of seating and a counter there. And you would serve like sandwiches and chips and, um, you know, you'd, you'd serve up soft drinks and coffee. And, of course, what was a real favorite of a lot of people was ice cream, two scoops of ice cream. I, I, re- I remember learning a couple of things Oh, the two and a half months I, I uh, worked for them, I remember, first of all, learning how to do the dishes. Ugh. That, that was a knowledge that I really didn't need to pick up. Now I've been responsible for it ever since, but at least off and on in my life. But uh, I remember a couple things I learned. Number one was, remember this thing called portion control? You know, if you're going to do the ice cream, you had to do it a certain way. And here's how many. It was going to be two scoops, and here's how big the scoops are. And they explained to me, now, Larry, when somebody orders a, let's just say, for example, a small ice cream in, in a dish, in a bowl. And so they would come in, and I would take that, that, and that's what you're supposed to do. At least that's what my manager told me. Little did I realize that the downtown grump was going to come in. The very first time that I got to uh, practice portion control. And so he came in and he said, I want a small ice cream. I said, sure, I'll get you small ice cream. And so I took out that little bowl and I remembered portion control. And I took those two little things and I, and I took it up to him and said, here, sir, here, you're welcome. Here's the ice cream. You know what he said? As soon as I gave it to him, he said, that's not as much as I got the last time. I want another scoop. And all I could think of was, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, well, how can I respond? The smart aleck response would be, no, that's portion control, and that's just the way it is. But then I remembered there's another thing that you learn in business, and you know, probably know where I'm coming from, and it is the customer is always right. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, that was tough. But I took it, and I put another scoop in there, and took it over there and walked under my breast. I hope you choke on it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> But I remembered, I remembered that the customer is always right. You know what's interesting is, this is kind of a little bit of a stretch, but not really. When I think about it, when I read about what happened here in the early church, what's going on here? There was some complaining that began to erupt in the early church. Now, now, it, it was pretty legitimate because there was a whole group of people, probably a lot of them widows, that were really dependent upon the daily distribution of food. And, and, and the Greek widows were being somehow neglected, not on purpose. And so there was just a little bit of harumph harumph going on in the early church. And so they decided, okay, we're going to have to do something about it. The apostles decided, well, you know, it really, and this was so wise on their part. We might not be near where we are now, but you know what they said? We can't neglect the ministry of the word of God and of prayer in order to wait on tables. But what we need to do is choose, let's just choose uh, seven people, seven people, but you know what's amazing about this? Look at this. They chose seven, get this, known to be full of the Spirit. Just to stand behind a deli counter, if you will? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. These were people who needed to be filled with the Spirit. And here's the point about doing God's work on any level, no matter how significant, no matter how insignificant, everything in between. God's people, no matter what level of work, listen to this, need to be filled with His presence. You know, it's interesting that sometime back, 
Corey Ten Boom, this is a quote from her. And, and this really just puts it in perspective here. Look what it says. Trying to do the Lord's work on your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. There it is. Thank you, Sister Ten Boom. There it is. Fellow workers in the kingdom, I want you to take a lesson from the early church priority. Three things I want to leave with you here this morning. First of all, be filled with the Spirit. He is our source of wisdom. Isn't it interesting that these two things are together in verse 3? Known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now remember, these are people that are going to work serving food at tables. These are people who are going to be working at the early church version of the deli counter in the corner of the store. And what does it say? We want these people to be filled with the Spirit. Well, we want our pastor to be filled with the Spirit, don't we? And we want our district superintendent and all our district leaders and our general leaders to be filled with the Spirit. Well, guess what? It goes all the way through the ranks of the church. It's for everyone that's here. This isn't some super spiritual thing. This is the norm for Christian existence. Be filled with the Spirit because He brings wisdom. I, I used to have a I know I have it somewhere. It may, it may still be sitting on a desk somewhere, but it's a kind of a marble piece, and on it are painted these words. It, it shows a picture of a guy who's looking a little confused. And I thought, well, that looks like me every once in a while. But what it says here is underneath that picture, it says, when in charge, delegate. When in trouble, ponder. When in doubt, mumble. I mean, think about that. I know during my years of ministry and probably in the last year or so since we've gone into this new phase of life, I've done some mumbling from time to time. How about you? Life just kind of reduces you to mumbling a little bit. But this is why I'm so grateful for the promise that Jesus makes. Remember over there in John 14, 15, and 16, he talks a lot about the coming Holy Spirit and what his work's going to do in the life of believers. But look at John 14, 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is wisdom from the lips of our Lord himself, graciously preserved and passed on to us for moments of greatest challenge, moments where all you can do is just kind of mumble. What in the world? Where do we go next? What does God want to do in the life of our church? What does he want to do in the life of our family? I remember coming home late as a teenager from um, activity at school, probably a track meet, track meet or something like that, and it was dark, and I walked down the alley next to the parsonage, next to the church where we live. My dad was a pastor. Carol and I both are Nazarene PKs. This has been our whole life. And I remember coming down the alley, and, and I noticed on the alley there was an extra car. It was a car that didn't really look familiar, but I thought, oh, somebody's visiting dad and mom. I thought, well, that's pretty normal in the life of parsonage from time to time, and and I walked in, and as, and as I walked in through the kitchen, I came through the dining area, started 
and I stopped dead in my tracks as I was ready to go into the living room because there was this young man in the church who was sitting across the living room. My dad was here. He was there. I don't even remember his name now, but I remember the face and I remember the moment. And this young man was pointing his finger at my dad and going like this and saying, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about... And he was, he was reading my dad, my preacher dad, the riot act, everything that he was doing wrong and accusing him of all kinds of stuff. And all I can remember is hearing my dad just simply saying, that's okay, I understand, I, I don't agree, but I understand, let's take it to the board, let's just, let's just calm down here. And it just seemed like everything my dad was doing, the guy was just ratcheting up and getting more emotional. Well, guess what? I'm standing out in the dining room, I'm a 16, 17-year-old kid, and what am I doing? I'm clenching my fists. I'm just standing there in the dining room, and I'm listening to my dad just get reamed out by this moron, I thought, you know, and I'm thinking, how dare he question my dad and all those kinds of things, and I was just getting angry, and the tears were coming, and I went out on the back porch, and I said, when he's done, I'm going to jump him when he comes out on the back porch. Come on, and you got to understand, this guy was like about a foot and a half taller than I am. And I'm, I'm thinking, you talk about a mismatch, it would have gotten ugly out there, and I'd have been on the wrong end of that. But I'm standing out there, and my, my, my fists are clenched, and my heart's up in my throat, and I'm upset. Somehow my mom saw what was going on. My mom came around the other side of the house. She got up on the porch, and she was standing there crying herself. It was a tough moment in, in our life. I mean, Dad's in there just, you know, getting this barrage of all kinds of unfair stuff that he, he was being blamed for. And, and I remember mom standing there and she goes, I know it's not right. And I said, mom, when he comes out, I'm going to let him have it, you know? And mom's looking at me. And finally, she said something that I remember all these decades later. She looked at me through her tears and she said, Larry, no, you're not. Because that's not how we do things around the church. Is it, isn't the Lord so creative in how he speaks to us. You know, sometimes, and oftentimes this has been the case in my life, the Lord's, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to me through wise Christian counsel, people who have been around the bend a little bit more than I have, and they've said, hey, Larry, have you thought about this? And isn't it amazing how, how the Lord will work in those situations and, and how, how creative he is? And you can think of times that the, the Lord has spoken to you because you want to know something. When we try to take on the devil on our own, it is the ultimate mismatch. Without the Holy Spirit filling us, Lord, fill us. Fill, fill us with your wisdom. That, that's what his Holy Spirit brings. He reminds us of what Jesus has said. Remember what Jesus said? He said, but I tell you, love your enemies. This is Matthew 5, through 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may ch be children of your Father in heaven. I needed to hear that at that very moment, and it came out through my mom just simply saying, guess what, Larry? That's not how we do things around the church. Doesn't matter what other people do, but this isn't how we operate. Hey, he's our source of wisdom. Can I leave this with you also? Be filled with the Spirit. He is our source of courage. I think it was John F. Kennedy who wrote a book uh, way back called Profiles in Courage. 
I know he wasn't included in the book, but I think Stephen could have been one of those profiles in courage. Don't you think? You know, there's no better example than Stephen, one of, the, one of the seven. See, he was chosen to wait on those tables. Remember, it's, and, and it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it is. If you read down a little bit further than what I read, you get down there to verse 9. And these two words just pretty, much, pretty well sum it up. Now, think about this. Opposition arose. Just two words. Opposition arose. Isn't it amazing that in our world, even a ministry of compassion can attract detractors? People who say, oh, no, that's not any good, and we don't like what they're thinking, and so we don't like anything they do or, or what they think. And they began to argue with Stephen, and they were employing distortions and half-truths. And you can read all about it as you go over in Acts chapter 7. And, and, and I remember uh, somebody looked at Stephen and said, after all those accusations, he just looked at Stephen and he said, how do you put it? He said, is there any truth to any of these accusations? And I think it's interesting, Stephen just kind of changed the subject. He says, you know what I'm going to do, guys? I'm going to give you a history lesson in the history of Israel. And he went all the way down through how God had been faithful, but also how Israel had been unfaithful in response. And you got all the way down to the end, and you look there. This isn't in the notes, but if you'll look later on at Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, look what happened as a result of Stephen challenging them. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. I mean, think about how sad that moment was. These are the religious leaders of that nation. And they're furious and they're gnashing their teeth and they're spitting and they're just carrying on. Verse 55, but I love this. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. Remember, these are religious leaders. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Oh, Saul. While they were stoning him, I love this. Talk about courage. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A profile in courage. He told them the truth. But when they wouldn't receive it, he didn't respond in kind. You, you, know, it's, you know, the easiest thing to do is when somebody gets radical at us, to get radical back at them. But you see what the Holy Spirit is doing here? Courage is not that. Courage is standing firm in the truth and saying, you know what, I love you. And I can still hear my dad in that living room. I want you to know I love you. I love your family. Let's take this to the board. Let's, let's not let this get out of hand. Let's, let's, let, let's go to the board and pray together about these things. You know, I sat with a, a young pastor friend the other day, he and his wife, and... and um, they called me and said, could, could you meet with us? We've got a situation that we're facing in our church, in the church where he's now pastoring. And he began to describe to me what's going on. 
And there's some situations that are going on in the life of that church where deception is happening and, and someone has decided they're going to go against the will of God and they're going to go in a completely different direction. And they're in the process now of just rationalizing all the bad decisions that they're making. And this pastor has to go back to that church in the next couple of weeks and he has to try to find out a way to straighten out a very difficult, difficult, difficult situation. And I remember when I prayed with him and his wife and I, we left the restaurant where we were and I watched them walk back to their car. I thought, oh my, what, what that young pastor is, is facing and the, and the ripple effect of you know, a lot of times, it, it, it's really true, it's just the nature of the world that we live in, but uh, most, of the time, most of the time, it seems like doing the right thing always ends up being the most difficult thing to do, doesn't it? It really does. And, and I'm just, just kind of burdened for a pastor that I talked to this past week today, and, and realizing that, uh, you know what, he's going to have to have a lot of courage these next few weeks. And his ministry is probably going to take a pretty tough hit by just simply doing the right thing. And yet I love his attitude. He said, you know what? I, I just have confidence that the Holy Spirit is going to help us through this. And I'm early in my ministry there. And, and Larry, I just believe that if, I could just, if we could just get through this and take this hit up front early on, then, then maybe the church will be on a more even keel and we can just move forward and reaching out to the community and and I, I remember seeing him walking away, and, 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 and that guy just kind of just has come up more and more in my estimation. I've always liked him, but even more lately, I've said, because here's a guy, not only has courage, but he has what I would call compassionate courage. Compassionate courage. Can I tell you something? I, I may be talking to somebody who's facing a situation at work or at home or wherever it may be. People can get pretty radical with us, can't they? And sometimes they can get in your face at work or wherever it is. But I'm here to tell you today that the Holy Spirit wants to fill you so much with his presence and his love and his peace and his confidence. Because when you're confident that you're doing the right thing, you don't have to lash back. You don't, you don't have to get radical back at people. We live in a world now where there's so much division. Wow, the division in politics isn't it unbelievable? And, and, and you, you know, I've, I've just been thinking, uh, put it in perspective, friends. We're in the kingdom business. Uh, we're, we're a part of a kingdom that is greater than the United States is ever going to be. As much as we love our country and we want to be patriotic and I'm as red, white, and blue as anybody and, you know, all, all those kind of things. But I'm here to tell you today, I'm living for something greater than that. I'm living for a kingdom that lasts forever. And, and you know, sometimes Satan and his kingdom will try to worm its way into the church. And what my pastor friend is doing, an all too familiar thing, he has to stand up for what's right. And, and I guess part of this sermon today is in his honor. And maybe it's just my way of saying, we're praying for you, brother. God's going to help you. And there's good people I know in that local church that are going to stand with him in all of this difficult time, and, and it's going to be better. Why? Because, you see, the Holy Spirit's going to get the upper hand. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord for that. 
Think about that this morning. Compassionate courage. The easiest thing for us to do in the face of militant wrong is to get militant right back. But look, look, at, look at what he did. Does it remind you of Jesus on the cross? He said, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Stephen, who was like Jesus, a friend of sinners. Remember when all those men gathered and they got picked up their rocks and they said, this woman's evil, and they threw her down in front of Jesus. And, and finally, Jesus started writing something. You ever wonder what he was writing down there? I think maybe he might have been lining out all the sins those men had committed. Maybe he was doing something like that. That's a theory. But whatever happened, they started dropping their stones and leaving. And right at the end, he said, where are your accusers? <laughs> and she just said, I don't see them. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Compassion, courage, all of it mixed together. A friend of sinner. He's the one who offered real freedom. And he offers that kind of freedom to us as well. You know what? I got to be a friend of my neighbors. I work at Indiana Wesleyan University, and you know, one of the nice things about evening manager is the classes like the, the classes and the conferences like to bring in food. I don't know how many times, you know, we'll put together a meal for me to take to work, and I'll go to work, and then I'll come home in the evening. And the kid says, well, how'd you enjoy your supper? And I'll tell her what I ate and says, I don't remember putting anything. I don't remember us putting anything like that in there. Why? Because there was a conference, and they had city barbecue there, and they had all these different places that, that come in, and it's a great place. Where am I going with that? I remember bringing home uh, some leftover chocolate chip cookies. And I'm standing there out in front of the driveway, and I see one of my neighbors across the boulevard. He's pulling up to the house, and he's starting to walk in. And this is a, this is a young couple that we've been trying to figure out, you know, how, how can we have a significant relationship with them? And, and I just felt impressed because I'm looking at those. That's hard to give up chocolate chip cookies, you know. And I'm looking at those things. And I walk across the street, and I said, I mentioned his name, and I handed it to him, and I said, here. And you know what he said? He said, man, this is perfect time. He said, we're going to have company this weekend, and we needed just some extra sweets to have around the house. And all I did was just go, there you go, Lord. There you go. Compassionate courage. Standing up for what's right, wherever it may be. Hey, here, here's another one. I leave this with you. He's our source of faith. Be filled with the Spirit because he's our source of faith. I, I, I love it what it says about Stephen here. He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Imagine seeing heaven open. Can you imagine that? Here it is. They're pelting him with rocks. And he sees heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, even in that moment, it wasn't just that moment, but, but, he's, but he's looking up and he's seeing something greater than what was happening to him at the moment. What an example for us. He's our source of faith. And you know where it starts? On the inside. We're, we're talking about our ultimate goal, our ultimate home, heaven itself. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. You say, what's the Holy Spirit have to do with all of this? Well, read this. 
Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There it is. This man who was filled with the spirit caught a vision of heaven right at the toughest crisis moment of his life. Heaven. How about Matthew 5, 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a faith statement. And so I would say, if you're a pastor, if you're a Sunday school teacher, children's worker, youth group director, church custodian, greeter, usher, Whatever you are, whatever you do, especially in the work of the Lord, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Even if you're waiting on tables at a church potluck, be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. You stand in need of His fullness. The the times demand it. We got to keep on going. And you, you know, the temptation to just say, yeah, I was telling you about a situation in our family. May I just say this to you here this morning? Maybe I get a little more specific here and it's okay. My sister called me yesterday morning. I thought she was calling me to razz me because she just turned 60. And I called her a couple of days ago and she didn't pick up. So I sang happy birthday to her. And then I forgot to mention uh, you know, what, what a great accomplishment, the big 6 you know, that kind of thing. And so I texted her later on. I said, uh, sorry, I forgot. This is number 60, and I made some nasty remarks about that, you know, to my sister and all that. And I thought she was calling me back just to kind of razz me back. But she called me yesterday morning, and she said, Timmy's dead. And I said, what? She said, Timmy's dead. We thought he was doing better. We thought he had gotten past his addiction. He went through the 12 steps and it just looked like he was doing better. He came, he'd been living in California. My nephew, Tim, came all the way back to Florida to be there probably for mom's 60th and also dad's retirement party. My sister at 11 o'clock yesterday morning, knocked on the door and said, Timmy, don't you think it's time to get up? And she walked into the room, and he was gone. Timmy was a, a good-hearted soul, but he was, he was tortured for a number of years with, uh, started out as addiction to painkillers. And it turned into all kinds of just messy things. But I can still hear my sister saying, we thought that he was better. We thought that he was doing better. And so sometime in the next number of days after the body is released and all the stuff that's going on with that, they'll have to bury their boy. And uh, it just doesn't get any tougher than that, does it? Yeah. But look what it says here. He's our source of faith. You see, we we need somebody on the inside 
to help us get through all the garbage on the outside. We need him in here. I saw, I saw this story some time ago, and it, it, it is just, this is incredible. It's actually uh, by a fellow pastor by the name of uh, Russ Long. Russ Long is a Nazarene pastor, and, and, and I just want to read you what, what this good pastor wrote. Yesterday, I read an incredible commencement speech written and delivered by Naval Admiral William H. McRaven, Ninth Commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command. I found his words challenging in an era where it is easy for leaders, particularly pastors, to grow weary with the battle we are engaged in. He describes SEAL training as, quote, six months of long, tortuous runs in the soft sand, midnight swims in the cold water off San Diego, obstacle courses, unending calisthenics, days without sleep, and always being cold, wet, and miserable. The rigorous training is not without purpose in that the Navy seeks to develop leaders who, quote, who can lead in an environment of constant stress, chaos, failures, and hardships. In SEAL training, there is a, this is really interesting. In SEAL training, there is a brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound that recruits can see. At any point in the training, they can ring the bell and no longer be subjected to the rigors of SEAL training. All you have to do is, all you have to do to quit is simply go up and ring the bell. I've had enough. Ring the bell and there will be no more early wake-up calls, miserable conditions testing your will or trainers demeaning you trying to break your will. Ring the bell and it all ends. McRaven ends his challenging speech by saying, I quote, If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. You know, Corey Ten Boom is absolutely right. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing and exhausting and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 